The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, we are finishing up our Advent series this week. It's called The Greatest Gift. Uh, our premise is that Jesus doesn't just give gifts. He is the gift. And he's the greatest gift ever given or received. Uh, unfortunately, the way that many people understand how this looks, God for them is a lot like Santa Claus. He knows if you've been bad or good, and he's going to decide whether or not you get the gift of eternal life based on that criteria. The Bible teaches something completely different and altogether better. The Bible teaches that God knows we've all been bad, period. None of us has maintained the perfection that would be needed to enter a perfect eternal kingdom with a perfect eternal king. But instead of just sticking us all on the naughty list and abandoning us to the punishment that we earned for ourselves, God came and walked among us, living like we live, being tempted like we are, but never sinned once. Then, the only one who had ever lived and didn't deserve to be punished, offered to take the punishment we all deserved so that we could avoid it. Romans 6.23 says it this way. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, not assuming everybody knows, what is sin exactly? Sin is stepping out of the benevolent boundaries God has set. God, through his word, has revealed what is good for us to do and what is good for us to avoid. And when we disobey him in thought, word, or deed, we have sinned against him. And Romans 3.23 tells us plainly that we all have sinned. The Bible overall teaches this idea that we are sinners by nature and choice. And this is why eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone. We can't earn it. We can only receive it. Ephesians 2.8 goes on to explain, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is by faith that we receive Jesus. By rejecting the notion that we can save ourselves and embracing the truth that grace is our only hope. We can't pay our own way. The wage we've earned is death. We need a gift to be saved, and Jesus is that gift. Hopefully, you're already convinced. Hopefully, I did a good enough job to get you there. But in order for us to be fair to the competition, throughout this whole series, we've been looking through some of the hottest gifts of 2018, according to Amazon, because we don't want to be accused of claiming that Jesus is the greatest gift ever without at least looking at what else is out there, right? If you're going to make a claim, you've got to back it up. So we went to the internet, the old interwebs, got on Amazon, a worldwide marketplace, one of the biggest out there. So their list of top 10 gifts for 2018 is probably a pretty good place to start. So um, I told you about a quesadilla maker. I told you about a chai tea sampler. Last week, it was some LED bike lights. 
This week we are looking <clears throat> at the Yeti Rambler 20-ounce stainless steel vacuum-insulated tumbler with mag slider lid. And this puppy goes for $29.99, okay? Here's the description. Uh, in case you're wondering, a Rambler is a cup. I don't know, I think it sounds cooler if you say Rambler. It's probably why they did it, okay? These, here's the description. These Ramblers come standard with our Yeti mag slider lid. The only drink lid that uses the power of magnets to keep your water, beer, or favorite drink on lock. I read that description, and my instant question is, is, is this a weapon to defend your family, or is this a cup to drink liquids out of? Like, I think maybe we went a little, a little overboard with the description. Um, so, you know, I've said we can't trust marketers. You know, that's their description. What, what are the questions that are coming up? Uh, you know, you can, on Amazon, people can ask questions about the product. So here's some of the questions that came up. And uh, hopefully this will strengthen our faith in Jesus because our faith in humanity is about to be uh, put into some, some serious trouble here, okay? Question one, <laughs> does it hold cold water? I'm not making this up. This is, this is straight from the page. Uh, okay, so answer number one is some good-hearted soul that says it can hold hot or cold liquids, <laughs> Answer number two is my guy, the troll that shows up and says, no, it cannot hold cold water. <laughs> it's a cup. What do you mean? What? What do you mean? Okay. The second one is only a little bit better. Can you use with carbonated drinks? Why would you not be able to? Because the liquid has bubbles in it? Like, I, I don't know, man. I'm struggling here. Answer one is Gary. Gary is very thorough. Gary says, I don't see why not, but we only have used it with coffee. I would recommend getting on the Yeti website and contact them directly just to make sure. We need to get on a website and bother somebody about whether or not this cup can hold carbonated liquids. Is that, is that really what, where we're at? <laughs> this person goes by BB. Uh, and this has been a common theme throughout some of uh, what we've observed here as we've looked at these Amazon greatest gifts. Here's their answer to, can you use it with carbonated drinks? Unsure, I don't drink them, sorry. Then stay off the page, BB. You've got nothing to add here. <laughs> Go on. Oh, man. I'm sure that the vacuum insulated cup with maglock lid, don't forget, is, is worth the 30 bucks that they're charging for it. However, I don't think that the Lord of Glory is looking at any real competition here uh, in terms of the greatest gift. Nothing Amazon had to offer that I saw was, was coming anywhere close. Um, I was thinking that maybe the reason Jesus isn't on the Amazon best gifts list for 2018 is because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? There's no money to be made on that. Amen. So maybe that's why. Uh, it, it really is amazing that the gift of relationship with Jesus is free because it's not just him that you get, but all that he brings. We've talked thus far about the fact that peace, hope, and joy, they all emanate from Christ's very nature, and that we receive these things when we receive him by faith. This week, we're going to see that true love is among those gifts that accompany the presence of Jesus in our lives. So I gave you a lot of time, hopefully, to get to John 1. 
Uh, so we're going to read from verses 1 to verse 14. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we will have the verses up on the screens. And just so you know, if you need a Bible, uh, if you don't own one, we have lots for free. We always have those around. We like giving them away. So if you need a Bible, please let us know. We'd like to bless you with that. Don't want anything from you in return. Just make sure you have a Bible. Okay? Uh, before we read this, I want to let you know that John's take on Christmas is a little different than Matthew and Luke's. Uh, there's no shepherds. There's no wise men. John doesn't talk about the events from the vantage point of natural eyes. John pulls back the curtain a bit and lets us glimpse the spiritual reality of the birth of Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in the first 14 verses of the book of John, okay? So here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise God for his word. So the last line, the last verse... The word became flesh. This shows us that John is calling Jesus both the word and God in these verses. Now, in Hebrew thought, the word was an agent of creation. If you go to Psalms and other places, they understood the word as being a part of creation. So we see John include that. In Greek thought, another potential audience uh, that he was writing to, in Greek thought, the word was, was that phrase, the word, it was the principle of reason that governed the world. So to Jewish readers, the word was God that John said here. That was blasphemous. And to Greek readers, the word became flesh. That was unthinkable. It, it made no sense. He was causing a riot here, basically, with just about everything he said. Now, to believers, to those who have tasted and seen, those who have received him and then been made uh, sons and daughters of God, to us, it's good news. It's unfathomable and it's beyond our comprehension, but it is good news nonetheless. It is these verses that give us one of the clearest pictures of the incarnation, which basically means that God came in the flesh in Christ. The exact way that the full deity of God was able to be restricted and contained within a human body is not explained. And that's probably because we couldn't understand it anyways if God tried. There are certain things about God and things that God does that are going to be a little above our pay grade. Uh, it's good for us to acknowledge that humbly. Uh, I, this doesn't have a ton to do with the sermon, but I just want to give a heads up to parents because uh, I had an interesting situation happen this week that I didn't see coming. Uh, I was explaining the incarnation to my eight-year-old daughter. Her name's Lucy, and uh, this was just the other day. 
And while explaining the miraculous nature of Mary's pregnancy, I stumbled into an unprepared for need to explain regular pregnancy. So I started a conversation about the incarnation and ended up into the whole shebang on procreation. Now, uh, just so you know, this wasn't the only conversation we've ever had. We've, we've been working up to it, and I actually think her age and comprehension level is, is right on to have the conversation. Um, I just would have maybe liked a little bit more of a heads up that that's where I was going to be on that particular evening and at that particular time slot. So just a heads up, man, if you're, if you're going to take your kids through discussing the incarnation, just know you're going to get to that miracle pregnancy part, and you're going to have to have something to contrast with. So... Just, you know, trying to love you, give you the heads up. That happened to me. It was good. It was fine. And Natalie didn't have anything negative. She was listening the whole time, and, you know, she, I didn't mess up too bad, so that's good. It's good talk. Um, I, I, I want us tonight to see the unmatched importance of the Christmas story. And I know you're probably used to preachers and hyperbole and, you know, kind of blowing things out of proportion. I'm, I mean exactly what I'm saying, the unmatched importance of the Christmas story. There is no other event in history besides the death and resurrection of Christ that are as important to humanity and all the world as the birth of Christ. We, we tend to take for granted living 2,000 years after the time of Jesus the impact of his life, death, and resurrection, and what it's had upon the world. The whole world would be unrecognizably different today if it were not for that first Christmas long ago. The life and teachings of Christ have influenced world history more than any other factor. And I would, I'd be happy to talk to a history professor about that. Uh, that would be an enjoyable conversation. Absolutely, the life and teachings of Christ has influenced the world more than any other factor. Uh, I want to show you this in verse 9. So let's come back to verse 9 in the, ser- in the series of verses that we read. It says this, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus coming into the world brought many things mankind could not fully see into a more full and vibrant focus. You can understand this principle if you've ever had your eyes open in the dark, which I'm assuming most of you have. You can make out shapes and and forms of things, but unless you shine a light on them, it's impossible to make out the details. Jesus is the light we needed to truly see the beauty of many things that without him would have been impossible. I want to challenge you to start thinking of the countless ways that the life teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus have shaped our world. But I only have time to zero in on one in particular today. I want to propose to you that without the first Christmas, we would have no grasp on or ability to experience true love. And that would be a different world, would it not be, if that were true? Most people think of love as an emotion. Most definitions you'll find describe it this way. However, love is far more than an emotion. It is a divine attribute. It's a very part of who God is and something he intends on sharing with his children both now and for eternity. 
Though there is much misunderstanding about what love is, there is also much truth that we can see. But the only shot anybody has of grasping the beauty and power of true love and the desperate need we all have for it is to fix our eyes on the glorious light of Christ. 1 John 4 says twice that God is love. It belongs to him and it flows from him and he is the only one who can truly define it. There are no doubt countless more implications, but we're going to examine how tonight the light of Jesus lets us see true love, receive true love, and give true love. So the first of those was see true love. We're talking about how the light of Jesus that John talked about, that it was, it was dark in a lot of ways, but Jesus came and brought true light, and he shined out in a way that revealed details that before him, were, we couldn't have seen it. One of those things is that he allows us to really be able to see true love. I'm, um, I'll read you a set of verses here. It says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's a line there we want to focus on. It says, when his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. What does that mean? What is that saying? Well, the person that showed up and saved us was Jesus, and that means the scriptures here are telling us that Jesus is the love of God, right? Jesus is not just love defined. He is love personified. Jesus being born, living, dying for us, and rising from the grave is the most clear, vibrant, and beautiful picture of love mankind has ever had the chance to lay our haggard eyes on. We could not possibly understand how deep love goes until we saw the perfect and eternal Son of God subject himself to this imperfect and temporal world to save the very people who rejected and rebelled against him. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us we still look in a glass dimly, meaning we still can't grasp the fullness of many spiritual things. And we won't until that great and glorious day that we enter God's eternal kingdom. However, what has been revealed and what can be seen and understood about love flows from the person and work of Christ alone. There are more distractions and counterfeits for love than we could ever name. But if we are wise we will decide to fix our eyes on Jesus as we endeavor to know true love and to live it out. So the first implication of the light of Jesus coming into the world is that we are able to see true love. The second is that we can receive true love. I'm going to read you a portion of Romans 5. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Ooh, come on now. I've got some good news for some of you, okay? Because some of you struggle with receiving true love because you know the truth. You know that in and of yourself, you aren't really worthy of love. Ooh, did I hear him right? Yeah, hold on. For some others, I got good news for you too, because some of you think that because you're a pretty good person or you have a good heart, whatever that means, you deserve God's love. Leads you to a separate, opposite problem. If you're the one, to the one who knows you aren't worthy on your own, hear me. No one is. No one was. Did you hear what I read you? While we were helpless and ungodly sinners, God demonstrated his love toward us by Jesus dying for us. All the stuff you think you know about you that nobody else knows, all the things you think disqualify you from being able and worthy to receive love, God knew all of that before he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for it. He knows, and he knew. You believe a lie if you think that that means you're out somehow. Friend, we are free from the prison of our own estimation. We were and sometimes now our behavior is wretched, but we are loved. We can admit the first and rejoice in the second because God's love for us was never based on our performance. I, I encourage you to receive true love today, dear one, and rejoice. Receive it. You're not the one special case that God didn't see coming. You're not the one that's so bad that God's love is not real for you. That the cross of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, does not have the implication for you that it has for the rest of everyone described in the scriptures. You're not that special and not that unique, and you don't want to be this time. Right? To those who think you have a good heart, you're pretty much a good person. And because of this, you constantly walk around with the weight of whether or not you are loved by God on your shoulders. You too can be free today. You didn't earn God's love, and so you aren't going to lose it by not performing to your standards. You can embrace the truth today that by trusting Christ, you are free from the rat race of earning approval that God is willing to give freely by faith. There is freedom for the person that is beat down in their own estimation. There is freedom for the person that maybe has a little too much or too high of an estimation of themselves. Either one leaves you outside of the love that God offers. This is not something you could earn if you were better. This is not something you're going to lose if you stop keeping up whatever charade of perfection you think you've kept up. None of that's going to work. There's only one way we come to this dance. It's through Christ. Now, I say that, and uh, the way I said that would leave room for the moralist in the room to be more ticked off than the person that would be on the other side of the, the spectrum. The moralist might have just heard me say, well, well what, what are you saying? Does it not matter what we do? Well, friend, of course it matters what we do. Jesus taught that plainly. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Of course we know that once someone tastes the sweetness of grace and mercy, the bitter waters of sin and rebellion lose their appeal. 
Those who have received the love of God want to walk in the love of God. And this has always been the key to obeying God. So many people are exhausted trying to come up with some new strategy to beat sin in their life. Dear friend, Jesus said something real plain and simple. I wish you'd grab a hold of it. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Maybe what we need to focus on is why we love him. Maybe if we spent more time thinking about why he is worthy of us returning the love that he gave us first, our hearts would be full with those things and then not tempted with the foolish things that sometimes catch our attention. Praise God. Because of the light of Jesus coming, that we're celebrating this Advent season, we can see true love. We can actually see it. We can receive it. We can also give it. This is from the book of 1 John. It says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Are those two verses confusing to anybody? It's kind of confusing, because he says, this is an old commandment I'm giving you. Actually, I'm giving you a new commandment. But what he's doing is he's highlighting the very principle that we are using, the, the pony we're riding tonight, this, he's put the saddle on it right here. He says it's an old commandment, the word that you've heard, but he says, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him. Whew, in my Bible, the him is capitalized, because it's talking about Jesus, man. In him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In case you're wondering, the book of John and the book of 1 John are written by the same guy, and so the language overlaps. He's real about this idea that Jesus brings a light into the world that nothing else could, that things are revealed in the coming of Christ that nothing else could have revealed. And so here again, we see this principle that, yes, this commandment, we had it, but we understand it now. We we're able to really understand what God meant because we've seen Jesus walk it out. Whoo, come on. I'll be excited about it if you won't. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Here again, we see the results of the true light revealing reality for us. Jesus came and showed us what true love is. Not just so we could see it and marvel or receive it and rejoice, but so we could also give it to others. How would love be defined if not for Christ? Would you think about that? Really, we can see it all around. Many do define love without Christ. So many live in toxic relationships where people are just leeching life from one another, taking what they can until there's nothing left or they get bored and move on. People think affection or positive feelings are love. And then they get crushed when those feelings prove unstable or unsustainable. 
The true light of Christ has rescued us from fumbling in the darkness of false love. Feelings are fine. Affection is fine. But these are not what we are ultimately called to. Those who belong to Jesus are called to follow Jesus in the way of true love. The path that Jesus walked first was one of self-diminishing sacrifice, considering the needs of others to be of greater importance than his own. The only one who really had the right to demand his desires be met went first in completely giving up that right. He calls us, he bids us, come and follow. Friends, by going first and loving us perfectly, Jesus has set us free to truly love one another. If you buy into this idea that God made us and he knows what's best for us, you realize that giving our life away in love is the only way to truly find it. Jesus said this, he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment is for God's people to follow, what did he say, friends? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He boiled it down for us. He showed us what matters most. And why is that? Why would Jesus be willing to do that? Why wouldn't Jesus just say, everything God said is important. Do everything God said. All the commandments are equal. That seems almost like a more rational answer, but we understand because the light that Jesus gave us, it it showed us some things, and the the rest of the New Testament writers then begin to unpack that for us. Because if you go to Romans 13, you'll see Paul say, oh, no man, anything but to love him. He says, if you'll love your neighbor, you will fulfill the whole law. It's starting to make sense. Why did did Jesus just give us that summary statement? Because it actually bleeds into and applies to every other thing. Run the Ten Commandments in your eye, man. If you love God, you're not going to have any false gods before him, right? You're not going to have any other gods. You're going to worship anybody else. If you love people, you're not going to covet what they have. You're going to rejoice and celebrate with them when good things happen, right? You're not going to murder folks. You don't murder people you love. Pick, Pick a commandment. Tie it back and understand that if we love God and we love people in the fashion that Jesus showed us when he brought the true light of his presence into the world. Friends, we can can defeat sin. We can defeat temptation. That was Paul's take on it. Peter said, above all, keep fervent in your love one for another because love covers a multitude of sins. James said, love is the royal law. None of the New Testament writers had a problem elevating love to a place of supremacy in its importance for the follower of Christ. Dear friends, the question is, does it reside in that place of supremacy in our hearts and minds? Does it get the prioritization that the Bible would call us to? Or do we get distracted with these other foolish things, maybe noble things, missing the one thing? Now, I understand that it can sound like a big bummer and a lot of duty and work 
to walk the path of love and sacrifice that Jesus walked. It can feel that way or it can seem that way only until the light finally reveals for you this precious truth. Love is what you were made for. To see God's love and receive God's love and to give God's love away to others. This is why you were created. Birds are happiest soaring through the air. Fish are happiest swimming in the sea. Friend, you will flourish most walking in the love you were created for. My question to you, friends, is do we dare? Do we dare to believe everyone's favorite Christmas verse? Paul wrote in Acts 20 that Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. I want to dare you to live and love like he's right. Amen. May we be a people who see, receive, and give God's perfect love for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for this Advent season. We thank you for all of the word that you've led us through by the power of your spirit. Thank you, God, in particular tonight for taking us through the the theological view of Christmas, seeing what John was inspired to write. Thank you that the veil was pulled back for us and we saw the spiritual implications of your birth. Thank you that you are the true light that came and enlightened mankind, that you showed us things nobody else could have. Thank you that you changed the course of history. Thank you that you brought to us an understanding of love we never could have come to outside of you. Lord, but please help us not be knowers and hearers of your word, but not doers. God, help us. Help us to be enamored. Help us to be daily overcome with joy and gratitude that we can see true love. That we can actually understand what it is you're talking about. God, we acknowledge humbly, we acknowledge that we do not see it all. We know that one day when we stand in your great and glorious presence, when we see your unveiled face, that more will be revealed than we could have ever possibly known on this side of eternity. And God, we look forward with yearning to that day. But God, we also, right now, we know you have revealed enough for us to rejoice in who you are, to live a faithful life, and to walk in the path that you laid for us. God, we want to do that. Help us see true love. Lord, I pray that for every person within the sound of my voice that they would be able to, by faith, receive the love that you have freely given. There are various obstacles, many I didn't even cover tonight. There are so many things that keep people. There are lies that keep people away from receiving the love that you offer, God. I ask you, by the power of your Spirit, to crush those barriers into dust. You have called all to come to you. Your word says that you so love the world. You sent your son so that we could be saved. You have expressed your desire. You have shown us. You haven't just told us. You've shown us how serious you are about your desire to be reconciled to your people. To want to welcome us and call us sons and daughters by faith. Lord, help us receive the beautiful gift that you've offered freely. 
But God, don't let us be those who receive that gift and hoard it for ourselves. God, may we understand that immediately as we receive that gift, we're called to share it, that your love's not going to run out. We don't need to hoard a little piece for ourselves, but that it's an ever-flowing fountain, that your love is inexhaustible, and that we can give it away, that we can share it with others. God, forgive us. Forgive us for the propensity to be cowards, to be distracted, to have other things that seem to be uh, worth more of our time and resources. Lord, sharing your love, the truth of your gospel, with as many people as possible, it is, it is the highest and best and most beautiful thing we could be a part of. We acknowledge that right now in this moment. God, sometimes we don't live that out, and we ask you to forgive us for that. But God, right now we're saying we know what we were made for. We know where we flourish most, and it's in joining you in the mission of loving as many people as possible with the truth of your gospel. Please, God, open doors for that. Please open doors for us to share, to be heralds of the good news that there's hope for every man and every woman in Christ. God, please open those doors and give us the strength to walk through them. Lord, may this be for your glory, for the good of your people. We exalt you, we magnify you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory because you're the only one worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.